ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my goddesses. So I have to brag for a second. I grew up with the greatest mother in the world. Now I know, and I hope that you also think that you grew up with the greatest mother, and I know that we don't all have those relationships. But my mom is the reason that I'm sitting here with all of you. I watched her go after her own career when so many of her friends and so many women her generation didn't create their own career, create their own dreams, go after their own thing, be the major breadwinners. My mom is my biggest cheerleader. She was my very first life coach and continues to be my life coach. And in honor of Mother's Day that is coming up, I thought that there's no better guest in the world than to have my own mama on the show. And you can tell I'm already crying. I'll probably cry throughout this whole episode because I have wanted to have mama on the Purpose Girl podcast for a long time. And I am beyond honored and beyond thrilled to tell you that she finally said yes. (laughs) And so my guest today is the one, the only, give her a drum roll, please applause for the one, the only Mama Gladys Rockind. Hello, Mama. Hello. I'm so happy you're here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so good. I was so excited for this. You know I wanted to have you on for a while. Yes, you've asked several times. <laughs> I know it's not your thing. <laughs> and so I'm even even more grateful that you said yes. Because when I think about Mother's Day, and I'm going into my second Mother's Day as a mama. You know, I've celebrated Mother's Day for years because of the babies that I lost and claiming that we get to be mother no matter whether you're a mother to an animal, you're a mother to humans, to your nieces, to your nephews. It is a day when every woman gets to really claim how she's mothering the planet. But I learned just about everything I know from you. And I want you all to hear a story, and I'm going to dive in with my mama. Years and years ago, before there was a Purpose Girl, and I was still in corporate, as I've shared on the podcast so many times, I felt incredibly depressed. I would wake up really after barely sleeping and just constantly have this dream of empowering women, this dream of being Purpose Girl and not going for it. And I was so depressed. And my mom, who's was living in Cleveland, Ohio, my mom came to visit me. And she sat me down at the table, the dining room table. And she took a piece of paper and she put it on the table. And she said, now write down everything you want to do. So I did. I want to go to Paris. I want to run a marathon. I want to write books. I want to be in women's empowerment. And she said, now pick one. It was that simple. Pick one. She said, you're going to go do one of those. And that's why I call my mama my very first life coach, the best life coach, because she does that with me all the time. And so, mom, we really have you to thank for Purpose Girl. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you started it. So I have to tell you, mom, I want everyone to hear this. I grew up my whole life with you as a working mom. You did which was incredible for me to witness, right? You went and you had this big career. You not only taught math at a college, but you ran the entire math department when a lot of other women your age didn't follow their career. And that was a role model for me. So what actually led you to go for it when so many women of your generation weren't? 
Well, when I first started working, your father was in school, and I had just gotten my degree, and um, the only job I could get that was near Ann Arbor, where he was in school, was in middle school, even though I had done my student teaching in high school, and I had loved it. And at the end of the three years when I left the middle school, because I was um, expecting your brother, I told your dad he had to take out a lot of life insurance. <laughs> I never wanted to teach again. At least I didn't think so, because middle school for me was very challenging as a very young. They were hardly much younger than me, and I really didn't know how to handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably 21 or 22. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I, I had your brother and um, I had wanted to have some help in the house, a chance to go out. And, you know, our longtime family member, Dolores, was working for us. Yes, my second mom. <laughs> as a <laughs> babysitter, family. So... I would go and um, substitute so I could pay her and, substitute mm. and um, get out a little bit and meet some adults. Anyway, then along came um, Sandy, um, and Neil was easy. One child was kind of easy to throw in the stroller and do <laughs> what I wanted, and we lived in a walking neighborhood. So anyway, uh, then along came Sandy, and I found myself pretty sick that winter, just with Real ailments, uh, pneumonia, tonsillitis, you name it. And my doctor, a wise old man, said to me, you need something to do. And I said, I have so much to do. I have two children and laundry and la, la, la. He said, no, no, you need to do something. And so um, job-wise. He said you need a purpose. You need uh, Not that having a children isn't purpose. Of course it is. But you need a purpose outside of them. Outside of the home, he said. Who was this doctor? That's incredible. <laughs> I never heard this story. Wow. I said, but can't afford it, you know, or whatever. I don't know. And he said, just do it. Do it. Go find something to do. So um, there were different programs that I was able to get myself into part-time and do some work here and there. And it was very rewarding. And it got me out of the house. And it got me to do something with purpose. You're right, a purposeful career type thing. So fast forward somewhere after you were, well, I was teaching at one point half a day in a Catholic school. And when I got pregnant with you, they were not so happy. <laughs> and those didn't show their tummy, even though I was covering it up with very large sweaters. So that job was over. And even though you were married, I was married. It wasn't okay to show that you were pregnant. What was that all about? Or we'll come back to that. I want to get back to that. Okay, keep going. And then we're going to come back to this. I got really lucky. I was thinking about it this morning. A friend of um, my mother's community colleges were just starting, was teaching a class in a community college near our house. And she became ill or needed surgery. It was math. I teach math or I taught. And um, she called and said, would you like to come try teaching? Would you like to teach my class while I'm out? Well, I, I was thinking about this morning. I found my calling. Hmm. What a wonderful thing to do. To, I mean, I had had a lot of other jobs that were showing me that there was more to life than being home with three children and laundry, and it was nice. But this was um, real eye-opening um, to be with adults who wanted to learn, who needed to learn, didn't throw erasers at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I thought, wow. And, and the other thing is, at that time, the community colleges were mostly at night. There were mm. a few doing day classes. And when my substitution was over, um, they asked me to teach a class. The, kids, the students, I loved them. They loved me. Um, I'm very patient. I was very good with them, I must say. So mm -hmm. uh, You were. I took one of your classes, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> if you are looking for your purpose or your calling, it kind of fell into my lap, you know. Mm. Um, it was nice. And then I, once you're in the network, it wasn't that hard to find other part-time opportunities, people 
the, the community colleges were like a, a sisterhood or a brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And I guess sisterhood on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so anytime somebody needed somebody, they, I mean, people were doing classes at two and three community colleges. So, so I started to, and then you were, I don't know if you were already in school, maybe, no, because we were still in Detroit. But anyway, um, I got a day job in Detroit at their community college, Wayne County Community College. And somebody there let me know that OCC, Oakland Community College, was um, hiring. And I applied. And I got the best job I ever had, other than if I had been of this generation and maybe been encouraged to go to medical school. (laughs) 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 You could not be a doctor in my day, according to my mom and dad, and raise a family. So... Mm. My age, if they did get degrees, were encouraged to become teachers. But like I said, that original job in the middle school was not for me. But this was just, I loved every bit of it. And I was mm. that they hired me, even though if you want to tell the story later, I got hired in at a very low salary, not commiserate with my experience. Keep going. <laughs> this is important because I've shared some of your story of starting to work on the podcast from what I understood and what I've heard, but it's important. You started at a lower salary yes, than your education <laughs> and your experience warranted. Yes. And they, I had to start at, you know, teaching, if you've ever been a teacher, has steps. So I mm-hmm. started step two and there was no negotiating. A few years later, they never hired somebody in lower than step four, and they would mm. give their credit for their experience, you know. But at, when I came, and then there was never any way to make up the salary steps for those mm. two. And, um, but as angry as I was sometimes, I still knew that this was my calling and that this was the best job I could ever have because I mm. loved Every minute of being with my students, whether I was teaching arithmetic and helping them to learn things they had never learned, to get ready for the nursing exam or to go into robotics. Not everybody I taught was going on to college, college. Many of them were. To a four-year university. Right. Many of them were looking at careers and robotics was just starting, refrigeration. Um, We had a police academy. We had a lot of very good careers for people returning to work, young people who didn't feel that a four-year university was for them, mm-hmm. and they needed a lot of hand-holding, which mm-hmm. I was pretty good at. Mm-hmm. And, very. You still are. <laughs> my, four, <laughs> my four-year guys and gals who, um, and that was the another interesting story short story when they hired me finally and I know why I got hired it was between me and one of the she was full-time at Wayne County Community College and that's how I found out about the job but because she was full-time they would have had to put her at an equivalent salary step I was only teaching part-time they hired you because you were cheaper exactly I think so oh I'm pretty sure. And I know you and anyone if you heard my mom a minute ago say even though it infuriated her I know you (laughs) Because you're a big women's liber, right? And a bit like this is not, I don't know how you sucked it up. You once shared a story with me that you would be with all the men and they would talk about how they made more money than you. Yes, they did. And they, not just more money, but it was a very big good old boys network with a lot of men who started when the college was founded, maybe 10 years before I started. Mm Mm-hmm. And many times as we negotiated salary, they would negotiate themselves an extra half step that was never there. So they could, because once they reached year 20 or 30 or whatever that step was, they couldn't get any more money um, other than if there was a percentage raise. So they would all grant themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So they They would grant themselves more money and not you. Right. And then there were a couple of years where people at my level didn't move up a, st- a step. Well, the state took that in hand and said, you cannot do that. 
Yeah, it's good. Must move up a step. You don't yes. have to give a raise, you know, um, percentage-wise. Yes, it always bothered me that it was a good old boys network, and they knew what they were doing when they negotiated the contract. With you. And you took a powerful stand early on. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Share with everyone what you did, because I think it's really incredible. One of the first, maybe the first day, I don't know, when I came to work there, um, at the time, they didn't have enough offices, even though we were only four people in the department, I don't remember who else was on our side. So I shared an office with a colleague, and we had the sink in our office and a coffee pot. (laughs) (laughs) I love coffee in the morning, as Karen knows, I love a cup of coffee. Starbucks came about shortly after I, um, and and it was on my way a couple years later, so I would stop every (laughs) coffee. But here's the story. So um, I saw the coffee pot, and I sure would have liked a cup of coffee. But (laughs) I knew there was me, one other woman who we won't talk about exactly. She was kind of out of it. And two men in the department. And I knew that if I made that cup of coffee, because I had the earliest class, because Mm. I had children. So that's the other nice thing about the community college, was that I was able to arrange my schedule. So I left early and taught an 8 o'clock class. And Karen's dad saw them all off to school, Mm -hmm. brought homework papers that they forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, And I made up my mind that I was not going to make that cup of coffee, I would suffer. (laughs) And I never did. I never made a cup of coffee all the years I was there. Yeah. We got a little cafeteria and I would drink that disgusting, awful coffee. (laughs) If I made the coffee once, I would be the coffee maker, like a Mm -hmm. secretary. Yes. 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 Never did. It is. I think that that it's one of the most powerful stands I've ever heard. Because we can like raise our voice and say, I'm not going to make the coffee or you need to pay me equal. But there you were just in your own sovereignty. You understood the game. And and I think it would be different today, right? If you started and and maybe the way you would use your voice. But to be able just in your own sovereignty to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And it was such a powerful knowing, such a powerful stance. And I I learned so much from that story, right? It's just like, no. I always empowered from that, that I did not, Karen's right, that I did not, I was an equal. I was a a professor, a teacher. Um, In the end, after two years, they made me the department chair. Nobody nobody could handle the stress, but I did not make the cut. Right. It would have put me at a lower level They would have treated you that way. Yes, they would have expected coffee. And when the pot was empty, you know, you know how that goes. Yeah, Gladys is going to do it. Right. So the woman's going to do it. And and what's incredible is then then you became the chair of the math department. You ran the department. You handled. I mean, I watched you teach all your classes, run the department, handle all of the contract negotiations with your labor union, and then start traveling around and teaching at conferences to other community college professors around the, the country, maybe the world. Was it the world or the country? No, the country. We had a we had an organization of two-year community college um, teachers. And after a little while, calculators started to become affordable. And, and it was women. It was all women, if I can tell you. We all decided together, because the men in our department were curmudgeons, and they thought every calculation had to be done by hand. Oh, my mm. God. Not <laughs> And we looked at it like, first of all, we could design some very interesting, intriguing lessons. Mm-hmm. We could ask much deeper questions than we could because mm-hmm. we did not have to multiply 235 by whatever. They could put that in. And so we could have better stories. We could do a lot of things with arithmetic, and we did develop an arithmetic class with the calculator, and it was really wonderful for students who were really struggling with arithmetic. Yeah. 
but it was all women. We told the men nobody wanted to join us. We would meet once or a month, once every other week, and we would design lessons. And they were screaming and yelling that we couldn't use it and they wouldn't back us up. And we said, too bad. The bigger the group of women got. Yes. And then, yeah, we all had ideas. We were creative. Do you all see? I told you my mama was a badass. I told you that my mama was the original purpose girl. I mean, this is where, this is how I learned, right? Like, what a power. I want everyone to like underline that, put it on a post-it note we're stronger together, right? We get a bigger group of, of us together and then we can advance the knowledge. We can advance the empowerment for all. I mean, this is incredible, mom. Thank you. So then you were saying about traveling while well, we all belong to this organization. And of course, with calculators and computers starting to come into their own, it took a while. We were really on the cutting edge. So when there was a conference, we would often go as a group or singly and present because one of the things that bothered us was that we were constantly inventing the wheel again. There were mm. other people out there doing what we did. Nobody was sharing. So it was like, what's wrong with sharing? I mean, if you've got an idea, the best thing to do is to share it, right? And, yes! And <laughs> Are you all hearing my mother? This is why I'm obsessed with women living their purpose, because when women are in charge, this is why I'm obsessed with women leaders, women running countries, women running the companies, because as my mama is saying, women share the, the knowledge, share the ideas, make it better for all. Like we don't, and I'm not saying that there are no men who do this, but toxic, there's been a toxic control of power that we need to keep it among a few. And what my mama is saying, what you're saying, mom, is like, no, share it and equity for all. And then we rise. What's that thing about tides and boats, right? Then everybody rises. Exactly. So, yes, I did go around. Yeah, other people got different and better ideas. And I stole from them as they had stolen from me. <laughs> it's not stealing, though. It's sharing. And like, oh, great. There's a good one. Here's a good one, right? I mean, that's. Exactly. Yeah, this is so, so good. And so me growing up as your daughter, I only knew a powerful mother. I only knew, and not that you couldn't and wouldn't have been powerful as a, a stay-at-home mom whose primary and big job is to raise three children, but I learned early on about career and power. And I remember grandpa telling me before he passed, your dad, that I had that from you. Oh, It was so sweet. I don't know if you know that. He said that to me. No, he said, I you didn't. got. You're independent and you're a career woman like your mom. I never thought I would be. And I loved my children with all my heart. And I loved taking care of them. And I devoted, you know, every evening and weekend to them. We always ate dinner together as a family. Karen can attest to that. But I was not good at staying home. I just wasn't good it wasn't that I was a bad mother, so I want to tell all you ladies out there. I just wasn't, I needed more. Yeah, for you, your soul, your soul got lifted up. I would hear you talk about your students, and you had said that a lot of your students, these were adults who wanted to be there. And you would tell me about moms who had gone, who were going back to school after being home for 10 years or 20 years and wanting a career at that point because it was like, well, what do I do now? My kids don't need me anymore. And how fulfilling that was for you. Or I remember when the automotive companies would send their employees to you in order to learn math for them to go for the next level of their job or their career and how fulfilling that was that you were really helping so many people who wanted, it was like a desire to better themselves. Right, exactly. Yep, the automotive auto. My campus was across from Chrysler. Right. And they calling. You know, I mean, without bragging, I did establish a. Wait, 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 wait. Do you know me? <laughs> yeah, I know you. And around here, we brag. All my women brag. So, Mama, please brag. Go ahead. Use the words. I brag. I brag. Um, I had a pretty good reputation from a very good one from students. Yes, thank you. Own it. Yes, thank you. And, uh, when Chrysler was looking to, as Karen said, have their, their, and it was only men. It was very weird. I'll tell you a story. Um, 
their men get their skills increased in algebra or whatever it was so that they could learn the next thing about the cars or whatever. When I did, originally the, the students came across the street to me, but after one or two times they asked if I would mind teaching at their complex. I don't, you know, you probably have no idea how big this complex is, but it's... I do, because remember I started my career in automotive marketing, so I do, I do remember. Your <laughs> podcast listeners, it is... Right, they don't, right. It is this huge automotive complex taking up a, ha a mile, a half a mile on right across the street. So I go over there and they gave me a classroom and all of that stuff. And of course I have to go to the bathroom. So <laughs> there was on each pod, there was one woman's room, maybe, or you had to go to different pods. And when you used it, it was really a men's room. They had, as women started entering the workforce, they had to convert the the man's and yeah. put and sign on it. So it was really, you know, the first time you walk in, <laughs> there's a urinal, the urinal, and you go back up and look and see if you're in the right bathroom. Right. So it was like I think they built a complex. There might have been one in a pod, heaven knows where. So every yeah. Place was built in pods. They were all men's toilets. Wow. It was really interesting. <laughs> they did, by the time I got there, convert one in the pod. Yeah. Well, hopefully now it's, you know, a full 50-50 because there are so many women in engineering and everything else, but just shows you how much things have changed. And the era that you were a career woman in, I mean, this, my mom and I talk, we talk about this all the time, that in your day, you know, so here, when my mom says she was a great mother to us, and when I say it, I, I mean it. I mean, my mom, when she left in the morning at 7 a.m., all of our lunches were packed. If she needed to defrost something for dinner, it was there. She went to work. She was home by 3 o'clock when I came home. Then she would make dinner for all of us. She and my dad would go for a run every day, okay, like a three-mile run every single day. So she's taking care of her body and and have homemade dinner on the table and all five of us would eat every single day. And you even made dad's lunch, even though his office was one mile from home and he would come home for lunch. He could have made his own tuna sandwich, but you even made his lunch. Made his lunch every single day. Yes, I did. <laughs> you did. <laughs> I mean, so to me, for that, that he was capable of. I did. <laughs> yeah. And when I got married the first time, I tried to replicate you and it just couldn't work because I, I was a different person and of a different generation and I became incredibly resentful that I was doing all these things for a perfectly capable man who could have made his own lunch, right? And that was my doing. <laughs> yeah. that, that wasn't him. That was me taking on something I didn't need to. And so I remember saying to you, Mom, why'd you do that? Why did, why did you always do that for Dad? You're making dinner while he's watching TV. He's watching the news every night. Why did you do that? And I remember, do you know what you would say to me? Mm -mm, no. You would say to me, you would say, because in my generation, that's what we did. And your father always let me work. And I was like, <gasps> let you? What do you mean? But as you described to me, there were a lot of other men, maybe, you know, daddy's friends or whomever, who they didn't want their wives becoming career women like you. I think I used the word let because it wasn't that he let, you know, let me out of the house. So <laughs> it is the word let because, and it's probably not the right word, but he was always supportive mm. of going to work. He did not mind the crazy hours that I kept. He was mm. willing for his generation to do in the morning for the children or be the dad that picked up if somebody was sick or took the papers to school. And that's really what the word let is, that I mm. could have a career that did not enable me to do some of the things that other mothers did. So he may mm. not have made the dinner but he was available to take care of you guys. It's true. When necessary or yeah. in the morning. And he let his mother go to all the conferences. He would be. Right. You traveled a lot. We 
grab my mom and dad. They were very good about it. And so that's what I mean by let. I didn't really need his permission. He was always very proud of me and what I accomplished. Very. Yeah. So by let, I mean he enabled. Empower. He was supportive. He, he was your, yeah, absolutely. Ab- I love that. So that's, that's what I mean. I don't think a woman, I will reiterate, needs a man to let her go, but he has to support her in her, I mean, like you have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't do what I do if I had a a partner who didn't support it or who wanted me to play some more traditional roles. And because of that, dad and I developed a really special relationship and we, we did and we do, Mm -hmm. we do. And I, I will forever and always treasure that I have that experience with my dad getting me off to school every day because we have a little saying that we said every day before I went off to school and we have a special dance that we do and a song that now Shay can sing. And when I was home this past weekend with you, he sang and dad smiled like he, you know, so I had that with my dad because of this arrangement. And, and I had this model so that in this marriage, you know, again, it wasn't my first husband's fault. I wasn't clear on who I was and what I needed. But going into this marriage, I was like, here's what I need in a partner, right? I need someone who's going to support, encourage, who's going to want to do some of these things so that I can go and travel and do the things that I, I need to do for my dream. And that's a, that's a big deal. And that's a, a model I saw in the two of you. Yes, it was wonderful. You know, Mom, your love story is so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> you have told it on your podcast so many times. <laughs> 56 years? Yeah, 56. 56 and a half. Yes, we have. But you've been together since you were 14. Exactly. So that means 63 years. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it wasn't it wasn't that unusual in my day to right. meet somebody at a young age in our graduating class, the class of sixty-two in Oak Park. Six couples, six people, you know, from that twelve class. people, six couples, yeah, six couples married, and I believe, of, and then there were two couples where the guy was from our class and the woman was mm. one lower. Okay, um, there was only one divorce that I know of. Wow. Together. It was a thing then. I don't think it's a thing nowadays. (laughs) Well, it does happen for some people. I know I walked into the eighth grade because you were in eighth grade when you met dad. I walked into the eighth grade looking for my husband. I was, you know, because I don't even know if you know, my listeners probably know, like I have always, always like in some way, worship is the wrong word, but like really put you on a pedestal. I was doing (laughs) Well, we're all, but it was, I had this model, you guys, it's not just that you've been married all those years. It's that you're in love. Yes. Your best friends, your partners, and to witness you now as health is changing and all of that to, to witness how you continue to show up as a partner is a really beautiful role model. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. We were one of the lucky ones, as I told each of my children as they got married, if you remember in my speech, it was, I hope that you will grow together and not grow apart. Because that's what happens. You're in love with somebody when you get married. And we were young and could have gone one of two ways. We could have grown together and closer or we could have grown and had interests that were apart, different, and not meshed. And my wish for all of you was that as you go through your marriages, that you grow together. And we did. We were, we were babies. What did we know? <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's luck. I think that you put effort in. We did. We did. And we, we had a lot of the same interests. We came from similar backgrounds and we learned we liked to travel together. Um, we loved to travel. And that was a very big part of I think as a couple, you need to find the things that interest both of you. Mm-hmm. If, if I can talk about that. I Please don't know. <laughs> do. You can talk about everything. Or you can. One of the things that I 
really learned from you is that you always took a trip, just the two of you. We did. Every year, right? And so one of the things that I hear from a lot of women is how they have lost connection with their partners after so many years and so many kids, everything becomes about the kids or becomes about the day-to-day that they've lost connection. And one of the things that I always learned just watching you was the two of you always made each other really number one. One of my fears about becoming a mom was that I was going to screw a child up. And then I had to realize it doesn't matter what I do. The child will, will, is going through their, is going to go through their own journey. <laughs> They're going to be screwed up in some way. So it's, I think the other thing is, aside from traveling, every day we took a three-mile run through the neighborhood together, no matter what the weather. Every day we had a half hour, let's say, or however long it took us for that run, to talk to each other. It wasn't Mm -hmm. about children. It was about our day. Things you couldn't do with three children around the house who needed help with their homework, who needed carpooling, who had questions who had friends over, um, but we always every day had a small part of our day because we had made that commitment to run and take care of our health. And that's another thing. You need a small, I feel, you need a small part of your day that is devoted, and it doesn't have to be ours, to the two of you so that you know there's still a connection. I think it's so beautiful, Mom. I really, really, really have learned that from you. It's really been such a gift. So. You raised three of us. Yes. (laughs) None of us are, I think, easy personalities. (laughs) No. Not at all. There was absolutely no fighting going on between the three of us. Just kidding. (laughs) I am having a hard time with one. How did you do three? Don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We had always wanted four. I don't know. I don't know. Well, we know why you didn't have four. Yes, you were. Because I was number three (laughs) and so perfect. (laughs) If you missed what my mom said, you like to think that, Karen. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. Why not? not? (laughs) Once I had three, I realized I had my hands full, especially by the time that time I was starting to look for a something, a career. Career, yeah. Yeah. Just so you all know, what's so special about my mom doing the podcast right now is she's just getting over COVID. You'll all have to forgive me. She was just getting over COVID. So, so um, yes, you you were all quite, is that what you want to know? Very different. Yeah. And just how do you raise three? You know, sometimes um, having more is easier. I don't know. I'm sure that along the way, I don't think you have the time, unfortunately, to spend with each one that I see you with Shay and your sister with Mitzi. But somehow... You have children and you make it work, you know. It was, there were difficult times, you know, where you take one child to dance or skating. You were a skater. (laughs) I know. I loved ice skating. I always remember you skating in your little bee costume. You had like a, not a ballet, (laughs) like take ballet. You had this little bee costume and skated around. It was very cute. Um, but there were times where you take one child skating or to soccer and you leave the other child at home and you sit there worried sick that they don't feel well, they have a temperature, something's going on mentally. So it's it wasn't easy, but I don't know that I have advice other than that you just muddle through. You you know, I always told you guys you didn't come with a, um, a, a book. <laughs> An owner's manual. <laughs> My head forgot the word, but you didn't come with a a manual, an instruction manual. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember, I had always wanted a bigger family. I came from a very small family. Two of us, my parents and um, my grandmother lived with us. And I felt, I don't know how you do it. You know, I, I think your capacity grows as your family grows. I get that. You know, we we did a lot of family things together. We did. On family vacations, we went to the zoo. I mean, we. so you're not devoting the time like to one, like you would when you have one sitting on the floor and you're trying. But sometimes the other kids do that for you too. Yeah, yeah, right, right. I mean, being the youngest, it meant that the other two were with me 
a lot, right? And so you're, you're we were just all together. Yeah. They're reading, maybe they're reading to you. So there's trade-offs, you know, you don't necessarily have to be the one showing them how to put on their jacket. Right. You want to follow them in the toilet right. <laughs> and do what they do. Right. So, right. So I actually comes easier. Yeah. That actually, that makes sense. I don't know. If I look back, I'm, I'm, it's like the years when my mother, may she rest in peace, was sick. And I would go every day in the end and see her and make sure the caregivers were doing what they needed and yada, yada, yada. And then after she passed away, and I don't know, I even retired and I went, how did I do all that? <laughs> how did I go to work every morning, leave work at 2.33 because I always taught the early classes. You guys were all in college, so I didn't have to be home for you to get home anymore at that time. Go down and see her, take care of her business, do this, get home. <clears throat> you know, I always had papers to grade and stuff to do for um, being the chairman. Mm -hmm. And somehow I made it work. And then <laughs> yeah, I, my friends all say the same thing. How did we do all that? So you're asking right. me having three children. They don't know. It just seemed natural. I knew I wanted more than one. Mm -hmm. So you're always saying to me, mom, that I work too much. Yes. <laughs> and I just learned or realized in this moment where I got it from. Because you graded papers all night long. I did. On every we could be watching a television <laughs> show. <laughs> we were waiting in line, you know, for our table to be called at a restaurant and you're grading papers. And, and so, and it's not a bad thing. I just learned. It was like, you didn't have a smartphone, but you were always walking around with math tests, grading them. I was. I, that's true. I was. I, wherever <laughs> we went, I was grading papers. But Somehow it seemed to be balanced, and I guess as <laughs> sometimes I'm not sure that you leave yourself, Miss, because you have such a mission. I'm I not, know. You have such a mission. You want to spread purpose to all of your <clears throat> listeners, your podcast listeners, your clients, that sometimes, and I think it's probably true of me too, I wanted so badly to make a difference in this world with my students, with my mothers, with my nursing students or robotics or whatever it was, that I probably often did more with that than was prudent with a family the size of mine. I never felt diminished. I never felt that, that you were not spending time with us because you were working. Again, for me, it was just a role model of a woman on purpose, a woman who's making a difference, who has a calling, you know, that, that was just, I did I, feel that way that I, was, yeah, I had a purpose and I was doing something wonderful. And you took such good care of us. One of the things I always think about you, mom, when you say, don't put you on a pedestal, you remember everybody's birthday. You remember every, and by everybody, I mean, it could have been your male lady's second cousin's dog. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll say to the mail lady, happy birthday to the dog. I mean, you send cards. You remember when someone is ill. You make the phone calls. You give to, I don't know, I I've seen your list of how many charities you give to every year. It's about 85. It you never forget a thing. And I do hold that as the gold standard. And that has sometimes made me feel kind of bad about myself because I don't remember stuff like you do. And I've always been amazed. You know, we have a cousin whose mom passed away and you took her on as like an adopted child. And, and she will message me sometimes on Instagram if I post about you and she'll just say, your mom is the best, you know, like she always is taking care of me. And I always feel like I have a mom figure to, to reach out to. It's yeah. incredible. I think it was easier in my day to remember some of these things. Because we didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have a computer. So like the other night when I went to a bar mitzvah, I left my phone on the dining room table. And I wanted you to know something because I thought it started at 8 and it didn't start till 8.30. And here I am waiting, no phone. And a friend of mine comes in and she said, here, call them. And I went, Call them. What are you talking about? I don't know their <laughs> telephone numbers. 
I think at this point in the evolution of the cell phone and the computer, we have dumped all that knowledge in there. Mm. We wait for the computer or cell phone in the morning. To tell us. Today is Ellen's birthday or something, you know. And in, th- in those days, you had to have phone numbers in your head. Right. <laughs> a little book in our hand. You had birthdays. You had all that information. And now you can s- don't do no. that. No. I'm not buying it for one minute. You can say it's technology. I'm just going to brag on you okay. that it's one of your special gifts. And what I've had to do is, as as your daughter is just acknowledge that's my mom's special gift and it's okay if, if it's not mine, right? Like it's okay because otherwise I'll beat myself up to high hell. We both know that. So I had to really let it go. <laughs> Don't do right. that. I think we each have to go with, which you are with our special gifts. Mine exactly. Relating to my students, my nieces as they needed help. Mine was relating in mathematical way. I know. You have the most logical brain. You have <laughs> to wonder where your three emotional children came from. I do. You have the- <laughs> maybe, your, maybe your father. <laughs> For sure my father. He's, He's quite emotional. Yeah, there you <laughs> emotional <go>. sensitive. <laughs> you, as a mathematician, you have the most logical brain, and your parents, may they rest in peace, were German, and so like you just have this. You know, my dad had the same brain. <laughs> yes. What did you learn from Grandma? Um, my mother was. She was just the sweetest, most wonderful. I didn't appreciate her growing up. I know that many, I think many women don't appreciate their mothers. <clears throat> My mother was what they call a stay-at-home mother, so to speak. But my mother, I mean, you know this, I, don't, I know your listeners don't. My mother had to leave her home and everything that was um, her life when she was 19 and travel by herself. Holocaust survivor. Yeah, she did meet up with her brother in Italy, and they traveled together to America. And then she had to live in a strange house with her cousin, uncles, you know, an uncle and aunt. Um, She did not have an easy life then. And she also had a wonderful love story that I know that Karen has shared with you many times, that she did meet up with um, my dad. She just was was a, a, a stalwart in our life. You know, she was always there. Unfortunately, she spent many days being ill. It did affect her mentally. There were many days she had migraines, but she still was, she was an incredible woman. I was thinking about this this morning, who never complained. Yes. She never said, woe is me, look what happened to me. She never told me the story. I had to pull the little bits and pieces that I know out of her. And my father told her story as best as he could of coming here and what happened. She never complained. Yeah. She could have. Yep. In English, when she got here, because her uncle said in Yiddish, which is a language that he spoke, my parents didn't, but um, so sort of German, to throw away your German, you're in America now, and learn English. Right. He told her no more German. Right. She had to get a job. She had to figure out, I mean, so she was strong in her own way. She had to figure out how to keep her money that she made, so much money for the subway, so much money for lunch. She, I mean, this is a woman that never washed a dish in her life or baked or cooked or boiled a pot. First of all, she was a young girl. She was 19. And she grew up very wealthy in Austria before Hitler invaded Austria, right? And so for her to have to get a job in a language she didn't know, coming to a country she didn't know, needing to use the subway. I mean, I think that was incredibly strong, incredibly brave. And she had to learn. I mean, she always told the story about how she counted out maybe it was a nickel then to take the subway. Her That's what I remember. Yeah. For, for the five days. And, you know, I mean, she had to learn how to do all this at 19 without her parents. They were in Europe. She didn't know if they were had survived or not. So in that respect, she was extremely 
strong and determined. She learned English. She never read a German book like many of her friends only read German. She only read English um, after she came here and she read vociferously. And she was loving, extremely so loving. loving. And she did end up becoming a working woman. She did. At one point, she did. She had enough of staying home. We were all gone, and um, she needed something more. There was no one at home. She didn't have my her mother to take care of anymore. And she became the lunch lady at a school. And they saw how bright she was. My mother was an extremely bright woman, very bright bright, very logical. She got a job as the lunch lady, and they saw how incredibly bright and kind and patient she was. So they took her for what would have been the playground hour to tutor children and help them that were behind in reading. You know, my mother, who Mm -hmm. not her first language, it was in the end. Yeah. But um, yes, she became the person that went to the little room where they took students who needed extra help. And she loved that little job. It made her independent for the first time in her life that she didn't need my dad's money. Yes. And I think that's where the migraines came from. Could be. I think, from what I understand, (laughs) she was a feisty young woman. She was. Right? She wanted to go dancing. She didn't want to learn English from grandpa. She wanted she wanted to go dating and she right? Yes. And I think being confined to a life that she didn't choose. She did ultimately she as you said, never complained. She chose she chose within the life and you know, but grandpa would tell her what to order. Exactly. Right? right? Mitzi, you'll have the hamburger tonight. And and I, I remember the day she said, No, I don't want the hamburger. <laughs> Right? And it was like, liberation! Grandma's choosing to have the spaghetti. And I feel like her migraines shifted with this independence, or at least that's the story I tell myself, because I feel like I noticed it. And the job helped a lot. She felt Mm -hmm. independent. She had her own money. She had her own purpose. Yes. And in the end, her health insurance is what was so great for both of them. Exactly. She would always... My they had great health insurance because of her and her teaching job. Exactly. My father was in the health profession his whole life. He was a public health educator. and Her little job got her into the Michigan teacher system or public school employees. And she would always say, look at that. Your father was in public health his whole life. And he had nothing, nothing. And me, I worked two hours a day. And she was very proud of it. Yes. Go, Grandma. She was very proud. So I I don't know how to describe her to people, you know, but she was... You've done a good job. Okay. What was it like to grow up with parents who were Holocaust survivors? Um, It was difficult sometimes. My mother was very closed, and I've read many books. Like I said, I came to understand her later. I've read many books, and she was very typical. Mm -hmm. Her inner... you know, how she kept things to herself and the migraines and that. Very typical of Holocaust survivors. I mean, we had a beautiful family, you know, so it was hard to know until I was older what it meant to be a Holocaust survivor. My parents would not talk about it. My father would not call himself a survivor, even though he had been in Dachau before it was a death camp, when it was a work camp. He felt since he had not gone through Auschwitz or Bergen-Belsen or one of those, that he was not a survivor, but he was. Absolutely. He had to leave his native country. He was in Dachau. They let him out. They did not want to share. It was many, many, many years. And then by the time I started asking questions that I understood I needed to know more stuff, they really couldn't remember a whole lot. I mean... They couldn't, you know, like I would ask him about his grandparents. He said, we maybe saw them once or twice mm. because yeah. um, of transportation. They were in a different country. You had to cross a border. I realized that I don't know a lot about either of their families and that right. books. Yeah, it's hard. I had the wisdom then to press them more. They both made tapes for Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And I have listened to them and tried to make notes, you know? Yeah, me too. Yeah. It really wasn't that unusual because so many of their friends had also 
Right. Right. So in your generation, right, and being Jewish, a lot of your friends, that was the common experience. Right. What was I like as a little girl? What was it like to raise me? (laughs) You were so sweet. Aw, thanks, Mama. Cute. You were so (laughs) cute with two little pigtails on the side. (laughs) You were so cute. You were playful, friendly. Mm. You followed your sister and brother around. I'm sure they were. Actually, you and your brother played a lot on the floor Mm. together. He was six years older. I don't know why he chose to play on the floor, (laughs) but I have a lot of video, you know, of those old Mm. movies of you guys on the floor. So that was early. You were smiley. You were fun. You loved playing, you know, like all kids. You were... Um, then later, you turned into a very great student. You were always wanted to be the best, <laughs> the most. That's true. <laughs> Got that right? That's you, true. You studied slight over- perfectionist issue over here. Yeah, you were hardworking. Very early on, one day I found you going to Buddy's, which is a local pizza place, Detroit Square Pizza, and there you were working. You weren't even eligible age-wise. I don't, I'm not sure if I took you or your brother took you. I don't know how you even got there, but <laughs> you had a job. <laughs> you were very hardworking you want, and you, you worked hours that you probably shouldn't have, but you wanted to earn the money. I did. You did. You worked and then later you worked elsewhere and you worked. So you were always working. So you were hardworking. Well, you taught me that. You actually, you did such a good thing. I had to pay for my own like movies and stuff at a certain age. I don't know if that was 15 or 16 or 17 or whatever it was. And then when I got to college, I had to pay for my own sorority. I had to pay for my own nights out. You know, you were so generous in paying for my education and for room and board, but all extras, spring breaks, that was all on me. And in fact, when I was in high school and there was the French trip, all the other kids, their parents paid for it, and I had to pay for it myself. So, yeah, I had to go to work because I wanted to go to Paris. I mean, you know I love you in Paris. That? I don't believe that we didn't Oh, pay. no, I paid for Paris. <laughs> oh, wow. I was the only person on that trip who paid for it myself. And my 16-year-old self, probably when I was, like, needing to earn the money, I wasn't happy about it. But I remember going on that trip and being so proud. That's how I know I, I made. I'm sure you gave me some money for the flight or to, to go with it. I'm sure you did. But I remember paying for it myself. Good. And I was so proud. And you taught me that. And then you taught me when I went to college and I would wait tables, you taught me to put money in the bank first. Right. Like don't go out and then whatever's left, put it in the bank. You put money in the bank first and you use whatever's left to, right? So I would take my wad of tips Let's say I made $100 in tips and I would take all that cash and put it in an envelope at the ATM next to where I worked. And I would put like $70 into the ATM cash and take the 30 to the bar to meet my friends. There you go. You taught me that. My father taught that to me. He taught me that when you get a raise, you live on last year's income and you put your Mm. new money away. So he was always a year behind his income and what he lived on, you know? So smart. Father taught me. And if you do so something taught you, the first year that I had my job, we built a swimming pool because I, I knew that eventually we would, <clears throat> with three grown children, need, you know, need the money or get used to the money. So we took that yeah. out first. That so was I smart. I taught you that lesson. You did. And that's how I graduated college with $7,000 in the bank. <laughs> wow. I know. I know. Wow. It was really, and I, do that? That's you did it? Yeah. And that's because of you, Mama. You always taught me that. You always taught me that. What do you love about being a grandma? Oh, I was going to tell you one other thing. Yes, tell me. Oh, and I wanted to tell you where I wrote it down. You are a wonderful Hebrew student. (laughs) (laughs) Even though your friends told you there was no such thing as honors Hebrew, but we found a certificate. (laughs) Thank you. This is so hilarious. So those of you listening, if you're not Jewish, you might not know that little Jewish kids all go to Hebrew school, right? It's like the equivalent of Sunday school, except it was three times a week. Okay. And I was placed in honors Hebrew school, which I know some people, I have friends who don't believe me, but there was an honors Hebrew school. And I actually, I'm such a geek that I loved being in honors Hebrew school. I loved it. (laughs) 
There you go. <laughs> so true. And then at some point, at some point I discovered my goddess side and you started calling me your hippie child. Yes, absolutely. And <laughs> and the other thing that I was going to say is at some point you told your dad and I, I don't remember if you were in high school or college, but you told your dad and I that you want to be a party planner. <laughs> Weddings and bar mitzvahs. Yes. And I still have the cartoon that we cut out Aww. that says, um, it's a cartoon where a kid tells his parents he wants to be something, and your father blocked out whatever it was and wrote in party planner. <laughs> right. I had it hanging in my college dorm room because it was something about, like, I'm not paying for you to go to the University of Michigan for you to become a party planner. <laughs> But here's the thing that I figured out about my purpose. I've taken everything I love, That's party planning, teaching, you know, the party planning, I, it's why I love planning retreats. It's like, I, I get to incorporate. You've incorporated that into your, exactly. I know. I feel so freaking blessed by it. That's what I said. You've incorporated, I mean, whether it was a real dream or, a, you know, or whatever, but this, this thing that you wanted to do into your life. As mm, thanks, Mama. And I, I think so fabulous, you mm. know, that you were able to do that with this career. Aside from, I know when you were um, in Cleveland and you were working for corporate and you would give speeches, I know how much you love teaching them, talking about, showing them something. Being on stage, animating, talking, like I love giving talks. I just... Showing and planning things. And so I think you found your real purpose, your real calling, because you've been able to incorporate everything into this career. Thank you, Mama. You're welcome. I think it's fabulous. so much to me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Whether you learned the lesson from me or just life yourself... <laughs> You've really um, turned it into, only you have to work a little less. Okay. <laughs> She's working on me. Yourself. She's working on me, everybody. She wants me to take less clients, you do less programs. Cut that out. You can cut that. <laughs> no, I won't cut it out. Everyone's going to love you. Everyone's going to love you. You give me that. All right, Mama, at the end of every episode with guests, I always do something called a purpose power play round. It's when I ask you random questions and whatever you answer is great. Okay. You don't? Okay. What's your biggest wish for your children and grandchildren? My wish for my children and my grandchildren is that you find something meaningful, if that means your purpose in life, that makes that satisfies you both in your work and in your personal life, and that you live a life that's meaningful to you, that fulfills you, that you live a fulfilling life for yourself, not somebody else's life, but your own. Thank you, Mama. I think that that's my wish. I mean, happy is a not a good word because what's happy? Some days right. are happy and some days are sad. <laughs> fulfillment, feeling good about yourself. Mm. You have a good life. That's and true. that's how I always felt that I had a, yeah, there were ups and downs, but I always felt I had been blessed with a good life. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I always ask my guests one last question. It might be the same answer. What's one thing you want every woman to know? Almost the same thing. I'd like every woman to know that you can do whatever you, I mean, it's not whatever. Obviously, I can't go be a doctor. I wasn't trained. But <laughs> you, can, you can have a fulfilling life. You have to figure out what makes you happy or fulfilled. And then you have to throw a lot of the other stuff away, like Karen said about the list. She had like 20 things she would tell me every night she wanted to do. And when I sat her down, I said, you have to pick one to start. So I would say you need to pick something that's meaningful, purposeful um, to you and follow it. And if that's not the right thing, go to number two. <laughs> but And you have to let some of the crap that goes on day to day, you have to let it go. You have to put that aside and say... If I can't do anything about it, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to find what, what's the right thing for me. And I think every woman has to find the right thing for herself. Hmm. And sometimes put the, sh the shit. <laughs> <laughs> you can say that here. <laughs> you have to put She's it. She's always telling me. 
and yes. say, I can't change it. I have to accept it. It may not be what I want, and I may want to change it, but I can't. So I have to keep moving in a good direction for me. How's that? Such great advice, Mama. <laughs> you can all see why she's my number one life coach. I am. And why I always say that she <laughs> is the best mama on the planet Thank for you. me. For me. And I love you. Wonderful daughter. You, been a wonderful you. daughter. Loving, caring. <laughs> sweet. I've never one day regretted that I had number three. I've always been so grateful to have you in our life. Thank yes. you, Mama. I yes. love you. Love I you. thank you. You're so brave for doing this. I know you had no idea what it was going to be like. You're <laughs> and incredible. And now to all your mothers out there. And that's just it. Mothers, all the women. Yes. All women. Yes. And so to you, Mom, happy, happy, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for giving birth to me. Thank you for being such an incredible role model for me and now all these women who are listening to you. You're incredible. And I'm so blessed. We're all so blessed. I'm so blessed to have you in my life. I am. With that, everyone, thank you for listening to this very special episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. Happy Mother's Day to you. If your heart is hurting this Mother's Day, know that you're not alone. I have been there. I still think about my babies that I lost. If you are celebrating Mother's Day, know that I'm there celebrating with you, and so is my mama. So to all of you, have a beautiful day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Purpose Girl Podcast. We hope you loved it as much as we love doing it. If so, go over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave your five-star review. It takes you 30 seconds, and that is how we change the world one woman at a time. In fact, share this with your mom, your daughters, with everybody. We change the world one woman at a time together. With that, my loves, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself, and may you love life. Bye for now.